Thank you for downloading the podcast of the local paper review with a Romford recorder and Time 107.5. Enjoy. It's time for the local paper review. Hello, I'm, uh, I'm joined today by uh, our experts... Experts on the news, our reviewers, we have Emma Lake and Rafe Blackburn from the uh, the Romford Recorder. Is it the Romford or the Ilford Recorder that you work for, technically? Ilford, Ilford Recorder, but we I do do Romford every now and then, luckily. Both sides covered, nice, keeping it well balanced, enjoying it. And also for not just the printed word, uh, for the perfectly announced words we have uh, Ben Vaughan from Time 107.5 with us as well. Sorry, I thought you <laughs> introduced Emma then when he said that. No, have you heard these two speak? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, love your work. Um, the, uh, so let's do this. Let's jump into story number one. What have we got for us? Okay, story number one is the uh, Romford Splash this week, which is the story of a uh, data breach. Um, we've got a, a mother who um, was sent or sent by a solicitor um, a lot of documents relating to her teenage son, um, which included the details of people who had made complaints against him with their names and phone numbers and personal details. Mm, so this is bad. Yes, this isn't good. Which is probably what I meant by bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you Just for re-explaining lo- no, I'm loving it. Um, yeah, I mean, this. I mean, from the point of view of anyone who's made a complaint, this is really bad, isn't it? I mean, if, if you complain about your neighbours, you assume that you would have that veil of anonymity with which to do so. I mean, if you were in that situation, Rafe, if you are in that situation, what, what would you want to be done now, though? Um... I'm not entirely sure what I would I would want. To, I'm not really sure they can do that much except apologise and conduct a thorough investigation. I suppose the, the 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 question is, well, one of the interesting things here is, I guess everyone assumes that it's the people's details which have been given. They are the parties offended, but the um, the 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 woman who they were given to actually said she was very distressed as well by giving being given that situate that information. And she said she was concerned if other people had been given inf- that information, what what they would do. I suppose you just kind of want to make sure that there's 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 more thorough checks put in put in place. Mm. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure no one's done this deliberately, but I I guess like in in our work in journalism, we're constantly told by our editor to check, check, and check again. I suppose maybe they might want to take on that mantra a bit for a few oh, a few yeah. months just to just to make sure everything gets cracked down on. And with with uh, your situation, if you were to only do the first two checks, not that third one, if a typo makes it through into a newspaper, it's not as bad as people's personal information not being redacted from these things. I mean, that's there should be more. Then again, is it a cutback thing? Oh, Ben, what's what's your take on this? Is this a money thing? More money for more checks. I don't think it's about money personally in this situation. I think it's more about incompetence, perhaps sloppiness. Mm. Then how do you correct those issues? Surely either you don't employ sloppy people or you employ more people to check. Either better quality people or more people. They're both money, aren't they? I suppose they are. So it does come down to money in that sense. I think in um I think you you could probably possibly I mean, I'm not entirely sure which specific cut it would be relating to, but um I'm guessing in all fields of the council people are working very hard hours, very long hours. I imagine that legal departments I mean, whenever we go to court, some of the solicitors are juggling huge amounts of caseloads at the same time. So, mm. uh, it, it, in a way, it's it, it's 
it's quite surprising that perhaps this this hasn't happened more in that situation. Do you know, I've often been the kind of... I've noticed about myself, I'm the kind of person to not complain. And this story is not helping me change. That I'm very much of the opinion that unless you really, really have to complain, there must be other ways... A lot of people are going, oh, you should do something, you should get it thoughted. Look out the window, there'll be someone who talks in very much that. If ever there is an altercation, you should go and say something. Well, think about the ramifications. No one thinks these things through. This is just another ramification to add into my head. I mean, if you had a problem with a neighbour, would you complain? I think the important thing there is just that if you get to the point where you're thinking, I, I do now need to make a complaint, I can't turn a blind eye or whatever anymore that you have the faith and the trust in the authorities that should be there to support you to do their job properly and protect you as well as following up on your complaint because mm. i mean it doesn't seem to be in this situation but often in these kind of neighborly disputes altercations people can can be scared of going forward um because of what they f- fear perhaps the person they're complaining about might do and in in this situation, the the, the woman uh, who was the, who was given the data to, whose whose son they had been complaining about, came forward and said, "You know, this has happened." But I suppose if it is someone who you're concerned about, that could go hor- horribly wrong. And we might not have. I mean, that could have happened that we've not heard of. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So uh, I suppose yeah, we 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 should give the um the the the, the mum in this situation mm-hmm. some credit for for you know coming mm-hmm. forward and dealing with it properly. Are you the kind of person to complain to neighbours, Ben? Um, I think my mantra is choose your battles. Pick your battles. Because mm. I do. if there's something serious, I will complain about it. Um, I do complain in shops and restaurants quite a lot, I have to admit. I mean, not and to... also on social media. <laughs> really? If I have bad customer service, I'll be straight on social media. But if it's There's people that you have to live with or work with on a daily basis, then pick your battles. That's how I work. Here's the... I should have asked this question first, actually. I mean, this is a better question. Have you ever been complained about? <laughs> <laughs> no, because this... I think this is what we often miss. This is what people miss when they think about someone's doing something. Oh, you should get that sorted. Think about what it's like to be in the second-person point of view, which no one in this world ever does. Right? View it from the other person's point of view. Because what happens then? They get complained about. Think, oh, that complaint is way out of proportion, I will retaliate. And this is, this is why things kick off, isn't it? I might have been, but I think the complainer solicitor was so good that I never got wind of it. Oh, really? <laughs> Kept all the details <laughs> yeah. hidden, even, even the complaint itself. Yeah. Ever been noisy people? So I wouldn't know. Um, yes. I've oh, right. <laughs> what happened? No, no, no. This is... Um, uh, are we talking about neighbourly disputes or just general complaints? complaints. Uh, I have had a few articles which some readers haven't been best pleased about. Um, and they've chosen to complain on various forms of social media. Ooh. And I always think it's best to leave them to it if it's on social media. Very wise. So no response at all? No. Well, well, I, I, res- I think I, I might have responded once and then I was like, there's no point. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just leave it. It took me a while to learn the, the no response yeah. thing. I, I got into various social media fights. Uh, with people, well, one for being English. Someone uh, hated me for being English, and I got in. I don't know why I tried to defend it. It should have been like, you've got problems. Just leave yeah. the problems with their problems to have the problems. Um, Emma, has anyone complained about you other than the emails I send after these? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I think in my student days we had a couple of neighbours knock on the door and say, please, could you cease partying and turn your Brilliant. music off? So if they would have... Would you, did you prefer that or would you have preferred a complaint to whoever was in charge? I probably prefer a knock on the door yeah. because then I can actually say, yes, that's absolutely fine. I appreciate that it's quite late. Um, but if you went down a more serious route, I think it would also, by the time that uh, any action was taken, I'd probably have turned the music off. <laughs> I suppose by the time the letter gets there. I can't believe anyone's complained about you, Ben. No, I don't think, as I said, I don't think they have, as far as I know. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. I've um, never had neighbours knock on the door complaining. If you've got any complaints about Ben, um, 01708 <laughs> 741075. Any hints towards what story oh, number two Actually, no, I did have a complaint on here because I, um, a regular listener to The Breakfast Show was adamant that I was pronouncing... Beckentree wrong. Oh, it's the Beckentree Beacontree issue. Yeah, that <laughs> yes. Kicks off all the time. That one does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So just, uh, yeah, there was a the complaint about that. Just rename the whole thing. That's why. Get that voted into some council thing. I've, okay. I've spoken to the leader Darren Robert about this yep. issue, and he has declared <laughs> a Dagenham boy. He says it is Beckentree. Beckentree. So I'm going with that. You heard it here first. If you'd like to complain, email. <laughs> whatever I love you the you thoroughness of Ben's response to that complaint. Go straight to the top. <laughs> That's the response. See, this is how it escalates. Uh, so, yeah, story number two on the way. Any hints towards what story number two is? Um, so that is a, a Ilford story. It's a, a, a victory in uh, the fight to save what is a lifeline, uh, a transport lifeline for many elderly uh, and disabled people in the borough. Um, the council changed their mind. So story number two is about uh, the council's decision. Uh, I've been told they don't like to refer to it as a U-turn, but I am going to call it a U-turn, on uh, some mobility transport scheme cuts. So basically, uh, as part of their original budget, this doesn't sound that fascinating, but it is uh, quite important. Um, As part of their original budget, they they had um, two schemes which um, disabled and elderly people could use to get around at subsidised rates. One that was run by the council where they picked people up in buses and another where they got money off taxis. So I think what what they did they looked at these and they thought there's repetition here, um, you know we'll, we'll, we'll choose one to get rid of and they um, they decided they'd get rid of this, uh, it's called the Redbridge Mobility Card Scheme um, after they, they announced this Of the two that you just described, which, which service was that? So that, that 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 is the 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 the, the local authority one one um, which has buses, not not the taxi one. Right. So, so the taxi one is is the other one which they decided to keep. And um, I, after they announced that, there was a, this huge. I mean, we got numerous phone calls. Um, we got letters from campaign groups basically saying that this is gonna this cut is gonna leave me completely housebound. I won't be able to get out. I won't be able to, to have any independence. Um, I was at a uh, a meeting on Tuesday where 15, 15 uh, elderly and disabled people and their relatives spoke about how big an effect this was going to have on them um, and it was, it was quite an emotional meeting and um, that was I think it was really that meeting that swayed the, um, there was the cabinet member there and the leader of the council, uh, Jazz, Jazz Athwal and um, that after that they realised you know that they, they just can't this is one cut that they just can't go through with Mm. Um, and yeah so uh, credit where credit's due they they changed their mind the very next day um, and so then they they performed a (laughs) U-turn well to to give uh, you know credit where it's due a U-turn would have to require going back in the other direction whereas all they've done is stopped going forwards in the direction that they were going in 
Uh, I suppose. They've performed a stop. They've performed, <laughs> performed an emergency break just to keep the metaphor being uh, yeah. car-related. So I was, I was in terms of uh, public transport, There was I was working elsewhere when we did a, a debate about, um, I think across the southeast the cuts are something like 21 million being trimmed off of buses. And it is, it's going to affect people. The people that it, that it pretty much always affects are either those on really, really low incomes or the people with the bus passes or some uh, physical impairment that requires them to use public transport. A trim to a bus service is always going to be hitting the people that you think, what kind of a heartless person could see this kind of a trim go through? And yet this particular uh, issue might have been stopped, not U-turned. But we're still going to be trimming money off of buses. This is still the, like, the most vulnerable we're going to be affected by this. Yeah, and I mean, I think one one thing it is worth saying is that the I think the, the central government grant uh, to councils going by 40%, which is a lot of their funding. And um, uh, Reveridge Council, I'm sure it's the same for Havering and Buckingham Dagenham as well. They they basically, they they have, there are certain things they have to fill statutory obligations and these kind of transport schemes don't come under that. So they pretty much have to look at trimming everything which isn't a statutory obligation. Um, I, I, I think on, on this decision, they... They they got it right though. People um, at the meeting said, you know, what are you, are you picking on these people because you don't think they can they can defend themselves? And uh, there were several, yeah, powerful testimonies. One from a, a father who was talking about he, he had a forty year old son called David who um, was born with severe disabilities. He uh, he lives independently but in sheltered housing, and um, him and his wife felt confident that his son could go around on his own with this scheme. They knew the drivers, the drivers knew him, they helped them out. Whereas um, they, 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 you know, they said with the taxi car scheme, the cabs just weren't, weren't as helpful. And I mean, it makes, people don't really think about it, we take travelling around for granted, but it makes such a huge impact on these people's lives. I mean, you could argue that maybe it, it should be statutory, you know, but it's not, so councillors are going to look at it. So here's uh, Ben. I know you you found out more about this. Um, the are we dealing with? Let's be pragmatic about this. It's all to do with votes, isn't it? That uh, politics in general. That if you have a bunch of people who can't leave their house, they ain't voting an awful lot. So you can trim some money until it becomes bad PR, and then you perform an emergency break. Yeah, and I think in this case a handbrake turn actually. Handbrake turn. <laughs> yeah, they do sound sexier than a U-turn. There's a lot of indicating and all that going on. Handbrake turn. Nice. <laughs> I, th- I spoke, spoke to the council leader actually a bit earlier today about this and, and he said that after the cabinet meeting um, where these views were put forward he had no choice but to change his mind uh, on, on this cut because the, the effect that it would have would have been detrimental to the most vulnerable people. Uh, this decision though originally to to cut or, or certainly the, the plans to cut this service originally came just after Redbridge had... Uh, even in the same week, I think, that Redbridge had revealed their Fairness Commission, um, which is right, isn't it? Hmm. And uh, I did put that to him as well and said, uh, after saying you, you know, dubbing Redbridge one of the fairest boroughs in London, you're cutting services to the most vulnerable. Uh, did, you, did you feel that was bad headlines? You know, and, and, and that's the reason why you've gone back on it. Uh, and he said, absolutely not. He said, it's obviously... Uh, protecting the most vulnerable. But he did say that cuts still may happen within the service, just that the frontline service won't be affected. Yeah. I mean, it's good in a sense that a meeting has let someone see that this is a service that they couldn't with any conscience cut. 
Um, I'm amazed a little bit that someone needs a meeting to be told <laughs> that this would be a thing that is bad for people who need the help. The way he justified it to me was that he's, uh, as Rafe explained as well, there are three different services in the borough and, and, and when they're looking at having to make these huge savings, they're obviously going to look at things that perhaps they feel might be duplicated doing the same thing. Um, but until that they decide, you know, looked into it, which they have done, and then said, okay, our plans are to scrap the mobility service, and then they get all this response, they realise actually it's not doing the same thing. Mm. It doesn't provide the same service, and therefore um, it is right to keep it. Uh, so, Emma, um, as a taxpayer, I'm assuming you pay tax? I do. Um, you are funding this, this a service that should be trimmed. If they, if they can find efficiencies, they owe it to you as a taxpayer to do exactly that. I don't think that's quite the case. I think the thing with... You pay your tax because if, hopefully not, you're hit by a car and you end up in that situation, you want to be safe in the knowledge that that support will be there for you mm. as it is for those. And I think that's that's true of everything, isn't it? But I do think... The cuts are inevitable. The money's not going to be there. And with all the services, the people who access all of our services are those who, for some reason or other, are are more vulnerable. So people who heavily use libraries, maybe they can't afford to buy books, and so on and so forth. And it is going to be inevitable that they're going to be hit by the cuts that are coming, and there's going to be some really tough choices ahead for councils. So I think it's really important that Redbridge have listened in this case. It's almost the weird thing, isn't it, that if you find a, a case study of just one person, you describe to them uh, that someone who can't get around because for whatever reason there's a service that is going to be coming from, you know, we're funding or subsidising in some way, uh, and then you'd be amazed to find a person who would go, no, I think that's wrong. And yet as a nation, quite recently, we've voted to uh, go for the, the lower tax and pro-austerity party. A question mark at the end of that sentence. <laughs> well, I think bringing it back to Havering, though, I spoke to the, the leader, Roger Ramsey, earlier in the week as well, um, after th- they've been discussing raising the council tax in Havering again. Um, and I think it's for this reason, isn't it? it? It's the argument of whether or not you, you want to pay less tax <coughs> and have your services cut, or whether mm. or not you prefer to pay a little bit more and keep the services that matter. And, and that's, that's uh, he said, that's what they, they're going for. And I it's, think in Havering, yeah, 54 percent of the people who responded to the consultation on that two percent tax increase to support adult and social care did say they were willing to pay the extra money for those services to be kept 54 is uh, very very close to half it and is half very isn't close it? isn't it it's not a demonstrative mm. picture by any count there's a little thought experiment thing that um i was talking with someone else about imagine two societies one of them where <clears throat> beg pardon you only have five percent uh, pensioners and people requiring uh, let's just keep it pensioners it's easier to understand five like five percent of the population is a pensioner and another society where 50 percent are pensioners of those two situations which one do you assume has a workforce paying more tax it's easy, isn't it? You just assume that, of course, the only way to afford it is for the people to be paying more tax um, if there's 50% pensioners. Well, as the number of uh, pensioners in, in the UK increases, therefore, surely our tax should increase, and it's not doing. So at some point, it's going to be an awful lot of uh, crunch time. And that's depressing. Yes. I mean, I, and I think that it, it's quite um, pertinent to having this, because having, I think it's got the, the, the highest percentage of pensioners in london um and and so i guess i mean redbridge is also i think going to bring in this um two percent um social care tax which it which which 
is is important. Um, one of the issues, this is going slightly off topic. One of the issues that came up this week was the fact that um, uh, Redbridge now pays all its all its all its staff the living wage, but um, a lot of social care is contracted out. So um, those those social care workers, which perform uh, very stressful jobs, often they only get paid certain hours and travel and certain other hours. They're still not not paid the living wage. So there's been a big campaign this week for that to support them. And I guess that. The, as as the population gets older, that is only going to increase as well. Well, I think we've managed to uh, thoroughly depress everyone. Um, Can I just say, though, that yeah. I, I don't think that the original story about the Redbridge Mobility Scheme is a depressing story. I think it's actually a good news story. And originally, when, when it first came out that the service was going to be cut, we had a phone call from a girl called Ellie who's in a wheelchair and she lives in Ilford. And she gave us a call and said, this is what's going to be happening. It's going to destroy my life, basically. Um, so I said, come in for an interview. Uh, so she did. Um, and then I was able to call her up the, a couple of days ago and say, uh, Ellie is still okay to come in for an interview. However, the story's changed. And she hadn't heard the news. And she was genuinely delighted that that but Councillor Jazz Athwell had changed his mind. I see I see what you're saying. That, that that little, if you zoom in, there's part of the story that's got the word delighted in it. It seems like a positive. But it's, it's nothing more than flatline, is it? This is like when George Osborne says that I'm afraid we're going to have to do big cuts. Well, actually, the cuts aren't so bad. And people go, yay, the cuts aren't so bad. No, you've fallen for the threat. It's like someone walking up to you in the street and saying, like, I'm going to mug you and hit in the face. Actually, I'm just going to mug you. You go, yay, I just got mugged. Because it seemed there was nothing other. The status quo was fine. Then you get a threat of badness, and then you feel delighted because the badness hasn't happened. Mm. I think I think one thing with this, they, um, they, they really found how much this scheme... Uh, was valued. I I had a, a, a similar situation. I I rang a, a woman up who had spoken to about it and and told her that they they had reversed the cuts and she was so she started crying actually. Um, she was so happy and I think what also came out of the meeting was people they they they're happy to pay it a little bit more. You know they don't mind paying an extra one pound or or, or two pound. Um, maybe going on one slight one less journey a week. Hopefully that will raise a bit more money, but if it was cut completely, they'd just have absolutely no option. Is story three in any way slightly more positive? Yes, story three, we're going to talk about the Women's Equality Party. It's a Friday. It's the local paper review, joined by Emma Lake, Ray for Blackburn, Ty, uh, Time 107.5's Ben Vaughan in the house too. Hi, Ben. Um, Hello, the, Steve. Hi, how's it going? The uh, story number three, what's story number three? Story number three, uh, this week... Two of our reporters, um, from one from Havering, one from Redbridge, have been talking to members of the Women's Equality Party. So for the first time, the Women's Equality Party is pitching candidates for the GLA elections. And uh, we've been speaking to them about what they stand for and why they're running. Um, so it's things along the line of equal pay, domestic violence, rights for women, and this, this kind of thing. I think I'm best to hand over to Rafe. Uh, I did one of the interviews. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can step in here. It was, uh, it was. I think it's it's quite interesting how quickly um, the Women's Equality Party has kind of sprung up to uh, putting candidates for elections. It only got formed under under a year ago, I think, by uh, Sandy Toxvig and. Um, and the, the Isabel Parasram, who is uh, all the candidates, they've got nine, one mayoral candidate and nine uh, London-wide GLA candidates. And um, 
one thing I found interesting, she she wasn't even a member of the party when she put herself forward to be a candidate. One of her local branches, she's from Wanstead uh, in Redbridge, and someone from her local branch said, you know, I think you'd be a really good candidate. And um, she put herself forward. She got shortlisted, I think, before she w- went to a meeting. And then she went to a meeting and chatted, chatted to some of the people there. Um, and I, 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 one of the things that I got from her is that... Um, she was talking about how um, well they, they they had after she became a candidate they went to like a media training day and she was talking about how she thought they were going to be told you know these are the certain things you can say these are the certain things you can't say mm-hmm. this is our message but actually they were told we've got our six core principles and we mentioned some of them before equal education equal pay that kind of stuff but um, the rest of the time you know you're allowed to really put forward your own voice uh, if you do get elected you're allowed to you know they don't necessarily have an agenda that it's not like Labour versus Conservatives going this way yeah. or that. So it's not as strict in terms of having a party line. So does that mean, it, would it be as, as functional as, as a party? Well, um, that, that is probably um, one of the questions that we'll find out, I suppose. Um, at this stage, we don't really know. But w- one thing she said, she's a, she's a barrister and... Uh, by that's her main job and um, she said she's she's good at getting things done so she thought that if people came forward with to her a lot of her constituents were said you know this is a really important thing to us she'd be able to look at it independently she wouldn't just shut it down if it wasn't necessarily something that was drilled into her by the party line I mean obviously if someone came forward to her and said we think men should get paid more than women she might not go with yeah. that but I suppose not many parties would no so no it no it remains a valid decision to not go with those things yeah I mean because if they did have a strict party line and all things had to be very much to the the mantra of the party would they be more at risk of being a I don't want to say I don't want to say UKIP but I think I just have <laughs> that a lot of the uh, a lot of the issues people say about them being a one issue party, uh, and that as soon as we end up having our referendum, where's UKIP? That's going to be a very difficult place for them to be. But the point of them being a, a one issue party, if they were just about uh, equality, or that I mean, maybe it's even further reaching than than the the reachingness of uh, Europe. But if they were just on this one issue, would I never understand how one issue parties manage to do well? Well. That is, I, I, I guess, if you look at the SNP, they've kind of managed to hone their hone their stages. I mean, I think one thing I would say is it's still that was a question I I had to her. You know, various concerns I, I have and the things I'll be voting on. I asked her about which for most young people is to do with housing, and she said, you know, it, it was quite a, equality runs through a lot of things in our society, like we're talking with the mobility stuff, um, the housing stuff. Um, you know, everyone wants reasonable rents. Um, well, I suppose not everyone does, but I do. Well, you're right. I mean, that is that is equality rather than specifically women's equality or equality. Yeah, and I rather. think I think one thing they while they are the women's equality party, they 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 they're focusing on areas where um, women maybe aren't as equal. Um, but they're also looking at areas where where men aren't so tra- equal. Childcare is um, is one of them. Um, she was saying a lot of the time if you see a uh, dad picking up their kids from school. A lot of people kind of assume they've been fired or something like that, and uh, and uh, many officers don't seem to quite accept that, that men want um, paternity leave and time off to see see their kids. So she said that was a major thing that that, that they were you know campaigning for. So suppose I mean is is there a slight risk? Well, you know, before I go into that, um, Emma, you are a woman. I am. Uh, <laughs> thank you. So Ben, the no. The, <laughs> 
Um, what are your feelings on this? I'm mixed opinions on it. I think it's very worthy um, to be, you know, to be campaigning along these lines. I just don't really know whether this is the way to go about it. I think it's more of a, a, a pressure group than actually a political party. Uh, I wouldn't personally, as you say, vote for a party that's got such a focus on one area because I would then think, well, what about schools? What about parks? What about everything else? And the individual candidates could have their point of view on all of these issues, but possibly different views. Exactly. And when we focus on, if if they're just focused on that, then Rafe just flagged up, you know, equality for people who are disabled where does that come is that on a lower ranking for them as to pay divides and i i don't know i don't feel that having politicians who are that focused on one issue is generally good for society uh ben do you like equality yes i do oh, just checking <laughs> Going in with the hard questions today, you know, we've been on a course. Um, so, no, of course yeah. I do, um, but I I think I'm with Emma on this as well. I wouldn't vote for a party called Women's Equality. But then, but why not? Because I mean, the, the fact that the party has done so well in such a short space of time Absolutely, makes me think there's a need. That, and that there's been a roaring success in the short space of time and to, and to put forward candidates for the London mayoral elections and GLA elections in such a short space of time is, is brilliant. And that might mean there's, there's clearly an issue in society that that is such a pressing issue that this success can be achieved in a short time. So why is that not enough for you to think, yeah, this is there's a force there I should be voting it for? It is, as you said, though, it's a, a one-issue party that, w- that would put me off. And they may have loads of great ideas about lots of other issues, but is they obviously feel that women's equality is the most important issue of the day. Yes. And uh, I... Those those six points, right? I've not read through the six points. So you've you've seen them. Are all of the six points pertaining to gender-related um, inequality? Yeah, I mean, it, it like the one about childcare is, isn't specific to women. Obviously, that's men. No, most of them are. Gender. It's it's equality in education, um, end violence against women, equal pay. Um, that kind of thing. One thing I, I would just quickly add is that, which I think they've done quite well, is that they, all these candidates are London-wide Assembly candidates. So um, they wouldn't, none of them would be standing for a particular constituency. Um, so you know that might put them in a better position to add to the debate, um, as opposed to necessarily you know having to represent a certain group of people on on all of their on all of their concerns. So, in a sense, they don't necessarily need to be voted for to achieve goodness. They are they are changing the debate into an area that needs talking about. That's a win. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I think you, you you could argue that as well. And has that made you feel better about it, Ben? Yeah, I suppose it has, but I still won't be voting for them. <laughs> <laughs> I, are I you meant to say impartial? It's the one issue thing that really puts me off, and... Uh, I think it's, I don't know, it's the same as, for example, an LGBT party. I I wouldn't vote for them just because I I think that they're so focused on that one particular issue, which is important, but there's so many other issues as well to be thinking about. And and you need someone that's going to handle all of them. As Rafe said, SNP, I mean, one issue party, Scottish independence for such a long while and now it's so capable as to run a, a country. Yeah, well, there's an example of where it's worked, I suppose. But 
these pauses are amazing. To, <laughs> what do we say? To, the Scottish uh, people might be listening. I'm a big fan of. I their think work. they've had to refocus as well, though, haven't they? Yeah, I suppose that comes with the success. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, like, like I said, like I think with UKIP and the SNP, they're kind of were had a while where they had all this kind of motley crew of people who united on the one issue and um then eventually they kind of formed a slightly more coherent policy i, I mean quite possibly the, the the same could happen here but i reckon they probably think that that you know they're getting talked about uh, the issue is coming up so they probably think that some of that is is a reasonable success as it is okay. i think with ukip we've seen quite a lot that they while they are united on europe when it comes to other issues, they're not, and that has caused the party problems. That's going to be uh, a problem for the out campaign in general because the people there are, there are so many groups who are in favour of leaving Europe who hate each other, mm. and their reasons to leave are so different that having a coherency in the out anyway. That's a di- that's a chat for a different day. Um, thank you very much for uh, joining me today. Now, what, what do we have to plug? What's what's worth plugging? Which page is my newspaper <laughs> column on? That's You're the big on. I think you're it's on page 11. 11. It's I've page 11. Ch- you've already checked. Yeah, I, always, I always look online and tweet about it as well. Uh, so on page 11, what else is there to plug? People should head out. You get your on for recorder, get your ill for recorder. Ben, do we talk about anything to plug yet? Next week. Oh, now next week there's going to be something about something. We've said too much, but we're building some excitement. Um, so if we're all up to date. I think we are. Thank you very much uh, for joining me for the local paper review. Thank you for downloading the podcast of the local paper review. Listen to the next one live, Friday, 2pm on Time 107.5.